Morning, everyone. Welcome to another Monday edition of uh, Devotionals, going through the F260 Bible reading plan. Uh, if you haven't yet uh, done that, or if you're looking for, or if you don't know what that is, uh, or if you're looking for a Bible uh, Bible reading plan, uh, then uh, you can head over to our website and you could just search F260, or you could go to the internet, um, which you know where it's at now because you're here, and search for F260 as well. Um, it's been really beneficial for me. Uh, it does five days a week, and so it's something that's sustainable for me and my wife to go through and then give some flexibility for us to catch up if we get behind. And so it's been um, a great thing helping us pick up on the whole story of Scripture, which uh, is one of the best ways that we can actually understand uh, what is going on. And we have been reading through uh, the story of David right now. We're in 2 Samuel. On Friday, we read uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, which is the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Where uh, King David uh, is, there, there's already these layers of irony that are coming up um, because the biggest problem the people of Israel had is the same problem we have. It's not that we desire the wrong things. Um, it's that we desire the right things on the wrong timeline, right? That's all idols are. We, we desire a God and we should desire a God, but we want a God that can, that we can make create and caters to our own timelines instead of his own timelines. We actually rule over our idols because they're just idols. They're, uh, they aren't God. And so we rule over idols, but we were meant to be ruled by the true God. And when Israel went to Samuel to demand a king, uh, we remember the specific two things that he asked for when the people asked for when they went to Samuel for a king. They said, uh, we want to be like the other nations and they want a king who will fight their battles for them. And so we saw Saul, how that didn't work out. Saul un initially is cowardly and then he goes to uh, fight Goliath, and instead of being a king who fights a battle for him, right, he's surveying the land, looking for someone to fight the battle for him. And sure enough, here comes David, who is to remind us of this type of Christ. And David goes as the king whom God would covenant himself to, um, the king from whom the ultimate king would come, and he fights the battle for them. But even David, as a man after God's own heart, uh, was only, it's a, a theological term, this type of Christ. Christ being the anti-type, which sounds bad, but the fulfillment of the type. The ultimate king is, is King Jesus. And so when we look at David, we see glimpses of who Jesus ought to be and who Jesus will be. But we also see a man. And the story of David and Bathsheba shows the failings of that man in deep ways. And already we see uh, how does um, uh, 2 Samuel 11, did is at home while his troops are on the battlefield. See, the king is not fighting their battle for them. We need a king who fights our battle for us. And it's only Jesus who always sufficiently and reliably fights our battles for us. And that's what we need. We need a king who fights our battles for us. Because if kings don't fight battles for us, we're in trouble. Because we're not strong enough. And so we see um, David's failure as a picture of Jesus and David and Bathsheba. But there's much to learn here about our own hearts, about our God. And uh, so today, what the F260 plan has done is actually taken us away from the narrative of 2 Samuel um, in its context. And it's gone to Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is uh, David's response to uh, his sin with Bathsheba. And when you're reading the Bible, uh, oftentimes you see in italics like uh, here, you know, so you've got um, 
uh, I don't know where I'm pointing here, the steadfast love of God endures. Uh, those things are put in by editors. But when you're reading the Psalms, something important to remember is the prescript. So if Psalms have these little things in here, um, those are actually in scripture. That's part of God's uh, inspired word. And so if you look at Psalm 21, uh, the translators or the editors in the ESV have said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, but then scripture begins with the prescript where it says this, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so this is a Psalm. This is David's account of uh, how he's wrestling and responding with his sin with Bathsheba. And so what I'm going to do, it's, it's a lot shorter than what we've done. So normally I'll, I'll do a recap of the narrative. I'm going to read Psalm 51 for us, and then I'm just going to walk through. I'm going to try to limit it. You could do uh, an entire sermon on Psalm 51. There have been sermons and, and series of sermons on Psalm 51. Um, but I'm going to read it and then just share a couple things in it. Looking up, what does it teach us about God? Looking in, what does it teach us about ourselves? And looking out, what does this teach us about how we live as Christians, image bearers, uh, church members, um, etc. So this is Psalm 51. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a, contrite, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So that is Psalm 51, and uh, we're going to walk through the three questions here. Um, first is looking up, what does this passage teach us about God? Well, initially, right off the bat, um, we see that God himself is our only hope in moments of sin. And what is it about God that makes him hopeful? Well, David says two things. Uh, he said he cries for mercy. So we see that God is merciful, but his mercy is according to his steadfast love and according to his abundant mercy, right? Anything that w when we sin, when we encounter the weaknesses of our own heart, we're so prone to turn um, all over the place. And we'll come back to that when we begin to look in. But here we see that God, God is the source of love. God is the source of mercy that all of us need. God is the one who we are prone to run from, but he is the one who we need to run towards because it's only God um, out of all the things of the world who is able to love us and give mercy to us. And because of that, we see um, 
And, and what I love here is he talks about the goodness of God, right? He talks about God being loving. He talks about God being merciful. And as well, as you read through this, you read all these things that God has promised to do. He's promised to clean. He's promised to put back together. He's promised to forgive. He's promised to create. He's promised not to cast away. And these are all these things David are, is asking for. And David knows God. And so we can, um, we can put false hope on so many idols in this world. But when David is doing this, he's not putting false hope on God because David knows this God. He has seen God act to him or act towards him in mercy. And so he, he, he talks about the goodness of God, the capacity of this God. But then he also says this, and this is the second thing we learn. Not only is God himself our only hope, God himself is the first party for all of our sin right? David says, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, if you remember the story, um, there's a lot of people David's sin affected. David's sin affected, um, even though it's in this convoluted way, it affected his other wives. David was not being pure to them, and he shouldn't even have had multiple wives. And we've seen that all throughout scripture. Multiple wives always leads to problems. It doesn't lead to flourishing. And we see that he sinned against Bathsheba. He sexually assaulted her, most likely. He took her by her, his power and slept with her while she was married to another man. And then he lied to this other man. And then he murdered this other man. And he lied to his military officials. And then, um, but we realize what David does. As soon as Nathan pulls the rug out from under him with that parable in 2 Samuel 7, David's first response is, I have sinned against the Lord. And if we want to understand the gravity of our sin... We need to actually understand the gravity of all of our sin against God. All sin starts by being a sin against God because it's when we sin against God that we're prone to sin against others. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? They sinned against God, they rebelled against God, and then they immediately start sinning against each other. And if all we do is acknowledge our sin against each other, um, we're using uh, band-aids on bullet holes, which is from the uh, philosopher Taylor Swift. And uh, it doesn't work that way. We need to acknowledge our sin as it relates to how we've sinned against God. All sin is an offense against God. And so we see this, that God is both the one who could heal us, but he's also the one who has been offended by our sin. And this is a tension that only the gospel solves, right? How could this loving God be kind to us when our sin has personally attacked him? Well, we see that ultimately in Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we now transition into looking in, right? We see God as where we need to go, but we also see the one, God is the one who was sinned against. Um, and so in looking in, uh, we see, first I saw that sin reveals systems, not symptoms, right? It's easy for us to look at sin symptomatically, but David says that his sin reveals a symptom in his heart or a, a, a system in his heart, right? He says, um, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And what he's saying there is he's saying, my life has been a life of sin. My life has been a life of, of brokenness and weakness. And there's, there's tough sobriety in doing what David is doing. Because in one sense, he had this massive sin that's easy to just say, this circumstance, I completely failed. But he's looking at that and he's saying, man, my heart needs so much more work. I am, I, I don't, uh, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. 
And that's one thing that's really hard for us to understand is if we don't under, if we think sin is only episodic in moments of weakness and not a systemic problem in our own heart, then we'll never see the gospel as glorious. And the problem is that we'll never actually turn to the gospel to help us say no to sin. Because if it's just moments of weakness, we could trust in our own strength. If it's just, uh, if it's just symptoms, we could maybe, you know, get rid of the symptoms, but if it's a system, our hearts, our efforts, our works, our, our, uh, safeguards cannot displace the system of sin in our hearts. And that's why we need Jesus. And so when we look at our own hearts, are we sober enough to see a system of sin instead of just symptoms of sin? And what does that lead you to do? Uh, what does it lead you to do when you actually consider, as David does, he's looking back at the whole of his life and he sees this grievous, adulterous, murderous sin. He sees his track record of iniquity. What does he do with it? He goes to God with it. He goes to God with this tension. He goes to God with this filth. And so not only does sin reveal a system, not just symptoms, but sin, but it, this text shows us that God is where we go with our sins. And why is it that we would do this? Well, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, it's only God who could actually do something with our sin, right? Just look at all the things that David's asking God to do here. Um, he's asking him to purge him, to purify him, to make him clean, to wash him to restore to him joy and gladness, to let the bones that God has broken rejoice, to turn away from his sin, to blot out his iniquities, to create in him a clean heart, to renew a right spirit within him, to not cast him away, to not take away the Holy Spirit, to rejoice to him joy and salvation, to uphold him with a willing spirit, to deliver him, to do good to Zion, to not despise him, Man, if we under, like, uh, I, we are meeting with our residents um, after this today at like nine, and we are reading through a book called Dangerous Calling. It's kind of a book on um, the dangers of pastoral ministry. And in reading that book, I'm just realizing places where my heart is is weak. And, and I can tend to be overwhelmed. I could tend to be like, okay, I'm going to go into my room and I'm going to clean myself up and then I'm going to come out and I'm going to be great. But here in the midst of his brokenness, David is showing that we don't get ourselves clean and then we present ourselves to God. We, we go to God right away because only he is able to do these things. And if you, if I could tell you that God could do all these things, he could cleanse you. He could not despise you. He will not cast you away. He will create in you a clean heart. Wouldn't we want to do that? So why wouldn't we? Well, we don't because we lose sight of the gospel. We don't go here because we feel like we can actually do one of two things. That we can actually first out sin the grace of God. That our sins are too deep that Jesus can't adequately handle it. Or secondly, we think that we can hide our sins from God. That God doesn't need to know about this. If we don't confess it, if we manage to you know, correct our lives after it, that God doesn't need to know it because we don't want him to think poorly of us. We don't want him to acknowledge our mistakes. But here, if we go to God, we see even greater than David has the hope of it. Jesus has promised us all these things that David is asking for. Jesus, we just looked at yesterday in church that Jesus has purified our hearts. Jesus has made it possible to no longer sin. Prior to Jesus, we are unable not to sin. But after Jesus, we are able to not sin for the first time in our lives. We realize this nearness of God as we go to him with our sin. Isn't that a wonderful irony of the gospel? 
that we think that actually keeping our sin away from God is allow, is what allows God to feel near to us. But it's here in David bringing his sin to God where he feels the nearness of God. And, and there's this deep tension here that, that we need to understand. This is not a fearless thing for David to do. He knows where he's going, right? He says God desires truth in the inward being. And he knows that his heart has not desired truth. But then he says this, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And here's what we need to understand about our own sin here. Is for the Christian, Jesus has removed condemnation. Right? Romans 8.1 tells us that. We will not die because of our sin. But our sin does result in consequences. There are bones that have been broken. But here's where I want us to take heart. They're bones that God has broken. Man, what safety. What safety in this space where God allows our sin to hurt us, but to not kill us because of Christ. Christ has taken the death pill. And so when we sin, we will encounter hardships. We will encounter a, dist a, 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 a self-imposed distance between us and God. But Jesus draws us near. In sin, we will encounter the consequences. We'll encounter hurt relationships. We'll encounter um, maybe even uh, not as a punishment for sin, but as a consequence of sin. We might encounter physiological issues from it. And yet, those are all things that are not apart from God's loving hand towards us. And when we're able to go to God with our sin, when we see that Christ has dealt with it, our broken bones, broken by God himself, can actually rejoice they could be reminders of Jesus' wonderful grace to us. God is where we go with all of our sins, and this psalm reminds us that all of our answers are in Jesus. I love in verse 14 where he says this, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And here we see that Jesus, the greater David, is the one who became the blood guilt for us. David was meant to be a type of Christ, and he needed to be atoned for. He took blood. But Jesus gave his blood. David sinned against his future wife in Bathsheba and considered his pleasure above hers. But Jesus, when he pursued his bride, the church, did not take from the church, but gave himself for the church. Loved, sacrificed himself for the church. Sought the good of his bride in all things in ways that David couldn't. We have that husband king. We can go to him with our sin. And I love how he's praying at the end, like, do good to Zion. David is trusting that despite his sin, God will continue to build his kingdom. Your sin is bad. It is a sin against God. It is a sin that causes brokenness. But our sin does not stop God's plan from going forward, meaning our sin does not remove hope from us. God will do good to Zion. Why? Because a king greater than David has refused to sin, and he's taken your sin. That God has given you a clean heart. That God holds out to you daily the promises of Psalm 51, that he will purge you with hyssop, that he has made you whiter than snow. As awkward as it is to go to God with our sins, as awkward as it is to confess our sins to those who are around us, God has seen it all in Jesus. He really has. And he's drawn us in. What an awkward love, right? This is what we we're talking about yesterday in the service. This is an awkward, uncomfortable love. In Genesis 2, we saw Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Oh, is the bride of Christ to be naked and unashamed with Jesus because he has taken our shame. Man, what a good truth. When it comes to looking out, 
just two things here, right? Looking in, sin reveals systems, not symptoms. Sin shows us that God is where we go with our sin. And sin shows us that all of God's answers are in the gospel of Jesus. And then looking out, I have two things. I have first the freedom of confession. David went to God with his sin. And we've talked about that a lot. And we need to be free to go to God. But um, going to God with our sin is sufficient. We don't need to go confess to a priest. You don't need to confess to a pastor because only God uh, and only Jesus as the mediator can forgive us of our sin. That's an exclusive thing. And yet, understanding that we are free to go to God because Jesus has already borne all of our sins before God means that we can actually go to others. We say, well, we don't see David going to others here. And, and, and you're right, except that it's recorded in scripture preserved by the Holy Spirit for all time, right? And David wrote this. And why did David write this? He wrote it. It's here. It's, it's got a prescript. It's a Psalm of David. He wanted it to be known. He wanted others to be reminded of it. He probably didn't know. I don't think that it was going to be recorded in scripture like this, but the moment he put pen to paper, the moment he probably sang this song as the shepherd King, he knew that this was going to be made open to others. And why was it able to be made open to others? Because it was already made open to God. If we don't have intimacy with God, we will never have intimacy with others. And we need to remember that because it becomes not only a freedom then to confess to others, because others can't justify us, only God can justify us. And in Jesus, he has. And if you don't feel that justification in Jesus, there's two things that should happen. One, you should pray that you actually have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do have faith in Jesus Christ, if you do believe he's, he's done all that he needed to do to bring you righteousness before God, then if you still feel uh, a lack of intimacy with God, then, then you need to pray for repentance. You need to go to God. You need to experience this cleansing. You need to realize that because Christ was cast away, you will not be cast away. Because Christ has breathed the Holy Spirit into you through faith. He cannot remove the Holy Spirit from you in faith. And because of that, we can actually talk with others about our sin. And this takes discretion, right? We're not just belting our sin from the rooftops. Um, there's, there's times even when it's with your kid or it's with your spouse, but there are men, if you're a man, there are pastors, there are uh, other women, if you're a woman that we can talk to or spouses about our sin. And one thing I love here is, and this is kind of the last thing, not only do we have freedom in confession, um, but look what David says, um, deliver me from blood guiltness. O God, this is verse 14. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 13, he says this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So, did David suffer from his sin? Yes. He watched a child die because of it. He had to wrestle with the realization of what he did when Nathan pulled the rug out from under him. This is going to lead, starting in chapter 13 of 2 Samuel 13, um, or second of starting in chapter 13 of second Samuel, the throne is going to be torn away from David. His, his house is going to be ravaged. And yet David realizes that his sin because of grace is an evangelistic witness to those who are around him. It is because David has experienced the grace of God that he can move towards transgressors. He can move towards sinners and he can share both the weight of sin and the wonder of the God who does something with it. And there are moments in um, my marriage, there are moments in my parenting where it's actually when I'm confessing sin to Sarah or to my kids in moments of my failures where I have the most success as a parent and as a husband. And there are times where um, 
it's in hearing how other people have wrestled with sin and seeing both the weight of it and the relief that Jesus gives that my heart is most filled with the gospel. And this is really where, when you think about how the world calls hypocrites or calls Christians hypocrites, it's, it's this idea of confession and confidence in Jesus that allows us to recognize I am not yet who I will one day be. Jesus has created in me a new heart, but he has not fully removed all of the baggage of sin that a lifetime, right? David says, in sin I was brought forth, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. We have been born again, but we not, have not been raised again. Um, that's yet to come. And so uh, we begin to, in our evangelism and in our discipleship, when we understand, okay, if you don't do it without understanding the weight of sin and the weight of grace, uh, we're going to have problems with that. But when we understand how Jesus brings both of those together, we see the weight of sin because it led him to the cross, but we see the weight of grace that it leads to new life. Then we can actually begin to talk about our sin in ways where it does tear down our humility or it does tear down our pride. It does um, make us feel weak. It does make us feel silly. But the hero of the story quickly becomes the grace which is ours in Jesus Christ. And that's attractive for people. And that's what people should be drawn to because ultimately we don't win people by our own righteousness. If we're scared to talk about our sin in a, evangelistically, if we're scared to talk about our sin in discipleship, um, we're trusting that it's actually our righteousness or at least our perception of it that will actually help people follow Jesus or help people believe in Jesus. But it's the gospel of grace which does all of that. So why not display the grace in our lives through faith? And this takes wisdom. Psalm 51 is a great metric for you to look at and say, do I have the same language? Do I have the same experience? Have, do, do my broken bones rejoice at the gospel of Jesus? Jesus doesn't remove the pain of sin, but he does redeem it. And what a great truth. What a great truth that in all of these moments, God is actually working for our good. He is conforming us more and more, more and more to be like Christ, even when we have failings, which like David, remind us that we are not Christ. When you're not Christ, you need to find the real Christ. And that's what this Psalm reminds us of. So in summary, looking up, we see God is our only hope. We see God as the first party for all sin. Looking in, we see that sin reveals a system in our hearts, not symptoms. We see that God is where we need to go with our sin. And we see all of God's answers for redemption are found in Jesus. In looking out, we see the freedom to confess both to God and to others. And because of that, we see sin as part of our own story of grace, which helps us evangelistically, helps us in discipleship, and makes much of God's glory. So that's Psalm 51, a wonderful psalm. If you haven't spent time in it today, I encourage you to actually sit in it, pray through it as like, think of the sin you did five minutes ago, wishing that Tyler would stop. Um, think of what you did yesterday and just use this as a way to help your heart find words to confess your need for God. So um, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you hopefully on Wednesday as we continue in the F260 Bible reading plan. You could join us at solvehope.com backslash Bible. Don't know where we'll be yet. I'm not that far ahead, um, but I hope you guys have a good week uh, as we seek to make much of Jesus and love others as his church. Thanks guys. We'll talk to you later.